Welcome to episode 164 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. And this week's episode, like many others of late, are brought to you by our friends at Meow Wolf in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Thank you again all for uh, helping push us forward here. This week's episode. Uh, our guests are uh, from Theater Macabre. Uh, that would be Darren Lynn Bowsman, Clint Sears, and Gordon B. Jelanek. Uh, they're going to talk about their brand new show. If those names are familiar to you, that is the triumvirate that is behind uh, the tension experience and the lust experience. Uh, Theater Macabre is a brand new, like totally different, you know, standalone thing that is... is <laughs> both narratively and legally separate from the tension experience. Uh, the tension is still being worked on. We're going to get into all that. So we're going to talk about what the new show is, uh, you know, uh, what's going on a little bit with tension, but mostly mostly about the new show. This is, um, this is exciting uh, because uh, this is a chance for everyone to just see how freaking crazy these guys are uh, with the stuff that they put on. Uh, if, if you want to know what probably the most outra thing is going to be, uh, this Halloween season in LA, uh, there's there's a good chance it's uh, it's it's macabre. Um, some more about the spooky season uh, after we do the episode. Uh, well, after we do the interview, after we do the episode, you just keep on driving or whatever it is you do when you listen to this show. I, I still don't understand the process myself. Uh, actually, I understand a little better. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts in the car of late. Um, I've, I've become that guy. Um, hey. Got a lot to tell you about this week. On the site this week, oh, what's that? He's not doing the Patreon right now? Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. On the site this week, uh, we've got a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, might be even easy to overlook. Uh, check this out. Uh, we've got a uh, overview of what's going to be happening at the Philadelphia Fringe, like some of the more immersive stuff, and that was compiled with the help of Kat Hinkle, who's the creator of Spies. Um, so very thankful for Kat and Catherine for putting that together. Uh, that you'll find that one of the featured slots uh, up above. Um, there was a massive update of the North American now playing section because we had this massive North American newsletter go out this week. So something like 58 things in the North American now playing section right now. And that covers pretty much like everywhere that is in LA and New York. So if you're one of the people who listens... And you're like, oh, hey, man, it's always, it's like, no, there's there's stuff everywhere right now. So you want to check that out. This gives you a really solid sense of what's going on out there. Uh, dare I say it's the most comprehensive list of immersive things in in North America? I dare it. Um, <laughs> uh, our spooky season coverage is starting up this weekend in earnest. We've got a couple of things that we're working on right now. Got a feeling that it's going to be kind of like a lot of the big announcements have already happened for Los Angeles. So I think there's going to be a, a bit of a drip through the rest of September. And today on our Instagram feed, I just got this treasure trove from our new correspondent, uh, Michaela Holland, uh, who went to Refinery29 in New York. And there's all these pics and boomerangs and there's... 
uh, a three some 360 picks, which we'll try and put up on our Facebook. So going to try and get some of that up in the Instagram and in the Instagram stories as the day goes on while I'm, you know, doing everything else that I do for the day job. Hey, I mentioned the day job. That must be it's time for me to talk about Patreon. All right, so imagine this. You're walking down an alley, and I jump out at you and say, give me money. This is what this section of the show is. Um, Hey, uh, first off, let us thank our latest Patreon backers. And if you want to become a Patreon backer, the thing to do is go to patreon.com slash no proscenium. Brett Jackson, Kevin Gerard, and Todd Robbins all did that this week. Uh, thank you all so much for joining up. We are on this long road to uh, do this thing full time, and that means you know, cobbling together uh, sponsorship, uh, like we have from Meow Wolf, the support of our Patreon backers, including our sustaining backers like Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Um, these are the folks who make the show completely possible. If you're listening to this, all I ask of everyone is just a dollar a month. <coughs> yes, I'm a little sick right now. Uh, all I ask is a dollar a month. Five dollars a month, and you get the irregular, which is very irregular. Um, I'll be doing one uh, soon, I imagine. Um, I should probably talk at length about Two Bit Circus, which also opened up uh, in Los Angeles a week. We'll do some of that on the back end. Maybe we'll talk some more about Two Bit Circus uh, in the irregular. Um, we are $64 away from our next goal and, uh, we're like 177 backers right now. So if we, if we got, if we got 64 people to join up at, at a dollar a piece, we'd blow past 200 backers and we'd be at our next goal, which is to upgrade the audio equipment. So we have the exact same audio setup that, uh, Jacob Patterson has for uh, think tanks podcast, which is really, really, really good. Um, the audio set up and also his podcast. You should listen to it. Speaking of podcasts, um, I mentioned I've been listening to more uh, and I want to give you a recommendation. Uh, if you like podcasts, I assume you do. This is not a, a paid consideration one. This is one I just actually enjoy. I'm actually a backer of it on Drip, which is Kickstarter's version of Patreon. And that is the Team Human podcast uh, by Doug Rushkoff. If you don't know who Doug Rushkoff is, well, um, um, I will tell you more on, on the back end. So I'm going to save all this. I don't want a large open to the show because you came for, uh, for theater macabre. All right. So for those of you who, who maybe don't know, uh, the tension experience and the lust experience, uh, are these two blockbuster immersive experiences. Uh, tension was, uh, two years ago. It was, uh, Spooky season 2016, and it really it knocked the doors down for uh, particularly the wall between the horror scene and the immersive scene in Los Angeles was just obliterated completely uh, by the tension experience. Darren Lynn Bowsman, of course, uh, got his big break uh, directing Saw 2. He went on to direct a large part of the Saw franchise. Uh, he's also director of films such as uh, Repo, the Genetic Opera. He's got a new one coming out called St. Agatha. Uh, nun, nuns are in right now, by the way. I don't know if everyone knows this, but like nunsploitation is a real thing. Uh, and it's, it's returned. Uh, I think, I think it was always there. It's just, you know, I don't know. Horror's got a very 70s sensibility right now and I'm into it. Like that is my, that's my horror jam right there. Like that era. So I'm pretty stoked right now. Uh, let's all go see Suspiria together. Um, Suspiria. Good God. I probably blew that. Whatever. I don't care. I've got a cold right now. Um, I, I own someone's copy of it. 
that's a long story, a uh, very, very long story uh, that is not of interest to anyone right now. Um, but who whoever thought that we'd be excited about the remake because uh, you, you don't remake Dario Argento. What am, why am I talking about? Okay, tension, lust, yes, I digress, no surprise. So tension was a singular inflection point where they took the alternate reality game form, used it as the run-up to their live experience, and just created this this incredible monster um, and this, this deep, layered mythology that they carried on into the Lust experience, which involved a lot of, of boundary pushing. Uh, if there's one thing the guys who do this stuff love, they love playing with the edges of the envelope. What I what I admire about what they do is they play with the edges edges of the envelope, and yet because they're they're here and to be consummate professionals, like they've got a lot of their stuff on lockdown. So there's a way of of knowing that they're they're pushing you. They're definitely pushing you psychologically. Uh, they'll take people to places that maybe they don't necessarily totally want to go. But they also take people to places that they didn't know they wanted to go to. And that's what the most exciting stuff that these cats are up to. So they built this elaborate mythology with tension. And so so elaborate at times that like people can be like, oh, I don't know where to start. What's exciting about this year, what's exciting about Theater Macabre is they're taking the the real world uh, you know, stories of the notorious Grand Gounon theater in Paris, and they are using that as the basis for a brand new immersive experience this year. Um, so all new mythology, all new characters, uh, you know, you don't, you don't need to know anything until you, the moment you buy your ticket and then it'll start bringing you into the world. And this is very exciting to uh, see them jump into this direction and to see what they can can create whole cloth. And as always, like the level the level of detail these guys go into uh, is just lunatic is the right word. So there's a lunatic level of detail that goes into their work. and the enthusiasm is prevalent. So here we go. We're talking to the three heads of the dragon, uh, Darren, Clint, and Gordon. Let's roll the tape. Here we are again in in your... What do you refer to this as, I Darren? I, I mean, it's the only place I can escape my wife and the screaming and the children and the dogs. <laughs> I guess man cave. It's it's there's there's a bit of there's a bit of man cave to it. Yeah, yeah. It's screening it's, room. Yeah, screening room right next to the right next to the laundry room. Yeah, that's we're, good. We're at Darren's house. Uh, joining us by phone today are Gordon and Clint. Hey guys. Hello. Hey. And uh, we're here to talk uh, theater macabre. Macabre. Yes. Macabre. Macabre. I always, I always get it Thanks wrong. For- yeah. Thanks for Thanks having, for what? Oh, having, for having you. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I don't know. Telling me thank you. I don't know. I don't know about. I don't know about thanking me. I should be thanking you guys, like for continuing to like make large scale crazy stuff. So what? What is this thing? Because this is intention. This isn't lust. Like both 
practically and legally it's yeah. it's not so what is um, what is what are you guys up to this time clint gordon and i after uh you know we, we were very lucky to to find amazing partners in the russos uh the thing with with doing something we're going to do in vegas is it's a it's it's a lot of uh red tape it's a lot of business um and i've never been in a in the mindset to wait uh so obviously the tension brand is is moving in one direction which is vegas but in the same time we wanted to keep working and keep making new ip and keep doing new things so we kind of got together and said what is it that we can do uh, that is that is opposite of tension and lust, yet kind of uh, plays to our strengths and allows us to kind of learn from the things, the lessons that we that we got from tension and lust. And I'll let Clint go in a little bit about what the the kind of idea behind theater macabre is. Sure, um, Darren had the catalyst. He was basically like, "Hey, what if we did um, turn of the century Grand Gagnol, which was the most shocking theater in Paris?" He's like, "What if we played with that?" And I was immediately like, oh, okay, great idea. We'll, we'll do a theater setting. We'll do a bunch of vignettes and we'll call it a day and that'll be fun. And we can play with those. And he's like, yes. And, and I was like, what? And he goes, let's also wrap the entire immersive theater experience around it. And then make sure that everyone that goes through has their own unique experience, which was a whole different, uh, whole different workload than what I was, was thinking it would be. And so that's what we were like, I'm going to write some vignettes. This is going to be fun. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, I was like, I can do two minute skits. That's fun. That's easy. And so. Sorry, Clint thought that he was like, yeah, we'll do 95% vignettes and then we'll have 5% immersive. And I said, (laughs) let's do 95% immersive and 5% vignettes. Yeah. And so what that's wound up being is um, creating a, it, it's it's the most ambitious thing by far that we've ever done. I think when uh, we did Tension and Lust, it was basically like you were thrown into a movie, right? Like all of a sudden, you're the camera in a movie, and uh, you had you had a sense of agency, but a lot of that was you were, you, the same. The same interesting things were going to happen. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, there, there were landmarks and there were land posts and there was exciting things that we wanted to happen. And it felt a lot like writing a movie, both those. And this one, I can tell you, um, just even, you know, going through the, the first act is already probably 10 times the pages of anything else we've written. And uh, it feels more like creating a choose your own adventure book than it does a, a interactive screenplay. And so the fun part is I think, making I think every it, decision have weight. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I was going to say one of our biggest takeaways from from Lust um, is people really want, I mean, we all want agency. We want to walk in and think that we can affect a story in a way um, that because you've done X, Y, and Z, you've shifted everything completely. And that's easier said than done. There's illusions of it in Tension and Lust. There are things that you can do that will cause an actor, instead of saying script A, she'll say script B to you. Whereas Theater Macabre, we wanted to actually go in and say, okay, let's not give the illusion. Let's really do it. Let's make it so every single choice that you make when you walk in will have an effect that you might not even see until the end. Until you're like, oh, because I did this here, this has now changed by the time I get to Act 3. And so um, in some respects, it is the biggest scope thing that we've done because everything that you do is not a 
just there to like tension or lust. We had really great set piece scenes, but they didn't do anything. You can interact with them. You can talk to them, but they, in the very end, your, your choices didn't really do anything. Whereas this Clint is going out of his way to make sure that every interaction that you have has a ripple effect that what you do will change by the end of the show. How many, I mean, I, the first thing that comes to mind is like, how do you prep for that in terms of your actors and making sure they know what track they're on versus what track the, the audience members are on? No like, fucking are, idea. Are there... <laughs> uh, fortunately, I do. <laughs> okay, Clint. Uh, um, <laughs> all right, genius. No, How no, are you no. doing this? No, we know. Well, um, and, and one of the things that we've done is, is we've brought in Brian Bishop to help us. And he's been just wonderful because he, you know, he's, he's about the biggest fan of Immersive there is, and he's going around and he's talked to everybody. And so it's taking the different ideas that we've heard, the different things that we, that we know about using our own special sauce. And I don't, I don't want to give away the farm because, you know, everybody's trying to figure this out, but let's just say that there's ways to backwards engineer. You've, you've got, you've got track A, B, and C. There's ways to backwards engineer that to hide the seams. And, and the most important thing I'm finding is that you just have to have great characters and you have to have great scenarios. So oh, wait, let, let's if, even go further. We're not talking about track A, B, and C. We're talking about track A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, and K. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I'm we saying have, we have, we have each, each individual that goes in gets to have, you know, a couple different tracks that they're on. But how you, so basically it's like writing, you know, the long and short of it is like writing um, about 12 to 13 different screenplays that all exist at the same time and all have different choices in between and different acts. Um, as far as how you trigger those, that's part of the secret sauce that we're, that we're coming up with in new and unique ideas that the audience hopefully never quite understands and feels organic and, and it should. Well, how do you guarantee that you don't have like dead space going on all the well, time? This is this is always sure. also and, the, the the danger in intention, right? Well, it's like tracks that don't that, open up. Yeah. Well, that's that's the beauty of it. So it is on the participant to find some of these tracks. Some of these they're going to have to unlock themselves. But if you don't, or if you can't quite get the effect that's there, and you always should. Instead of dead space, this is why this was a beautiful experiment and why it all opened up to everyone. We're like, oh, shit, you're not going to be held in a holding pin of like some narration. You're not going to have a chaos room where somebody's talking at you. If, if you aren't, the, the dead space is going to be filled constantly by an A, B, an a and B story, which is the theater itself, yes. the characters that run it, and all the vignettes. So, yeah, so that's... If there was ever a time to like, flex on this and just figure it out and really experiment this is the time to do it i think we started with the base layer of the cake and we said um let's say there were zero tracks let's just say that you walked in and you got to be pushed through this really elaborate scenario what is that and that's where the idea of grand gagnon started is you know i'm a huge macabre fan and i'm a huge things of you know the dark and sinister and so when you go back and you read about those plays they did back in the you know late 1800s early 1900s um, they themselves were brutal and sexual and exciting. And, and so you have this as the backdrop. All these things are taking place. And then on top of that, you have multiple storylines and multiple characters that you can leave the theater and interact with. 
and then we'll take you on a complete three-act journey based on that. Now, you're going to have shy audience members. There's going to be people that are scared to interact and don't want to do it. They are going to leave with their own experience as well um, because they are going to get to see, again, the, I want to say pushed through line, but they're going to get to see the, the base layer of the cake, which is the theater, the crazy vignettes going on, and the crazy inhabitants. But for people that are more versed and know how to kind of navigate immersive theater, they can unlock a, a lot of different storylines, more than we've ever done before. Um, so, yeah, sorry. Gordon, when... When these guys come to you with this stuff, what's the first thought that runs through your head? Well, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, when Darren and Clint, well, when Darren first told me his idea, and then after doing a little further research on it, it just shows that that we are digging deeper. And what I loved about it was that we're digging into the history and the culture of immersive theater because. The Le Grand Theater, this thing was going on in the late 1800s to the early 1900s for almost 65 years. This thing was running for 65 years at that time, and it was highly popular, and it definitely pushed the envelope back then. And so when Darren said he wanted to kind of explore this world, I said, well, what we're doing now is we're taking the immersive theater, which went from the subculture and turning it into pop culture. But what I really loved about it was, again, tapping, diving into the history of it. And that's what blew me away is, like, okay, everyone is doing all these immersive experiences. Everyone's coming up with these narratives. But now what we're doing is we're taking something that worked almost 100 years ago, and we're bringing it to mainstream now to see if it'll work again. And so we're definitely pushing the envelope. At first, I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, but when you look at the history of the Legrand Theater, you know, it, it was pretty impressive what they did. And it was definitely a shocker. And it, it, they shocked well, people it, back it, then. And we're hoping to shock them again this time around. I think one thing about, about Grand Gagnon, which which I like, is and you kind of touched on it. It was immersive theater before immersive theater was immersive theater. People would show up to this theater in Paris and they, it was an evening um, where aristocrats would come and they would see the taboos of society played out on stage. And it became so popular that it, it became a place where men would take the women to have sex with them. They would literally make these boxes where they would sit in the audience and they would get their thrills off. So they're watching these horrible acts. They're having dinner and they're having drinks and they are, they are uh, you know, making coitus at the same time. It was just this whole evening out. It wasn't just theater. It was much more than theater. Um, and it's the, the actual, when you dive into the history of it, it was just so fascinating. I thought it was a, it was a really cool place to start from. Uh, and then let's start peeling back the onion and let's start seeing, okay, if this is the surface right here, this really crazy, uh, theater, what's underneath it? What are the actors like? What are the people that run the theater? Like, what are the people that come to the theater? Like, um, that was number one. I think the second thing, which we all wanted to do, um, is take a whole new approach, a whole new IP. And I think that tension, uh, was its own greatest enemy in the way that it was so dense. It was so, you know, uh, oversaturated with mythology of years of us doing this ARG. We wanted to take something that anyone could walk into. Uh, you didn't have to ever look at an ARG or a Slack room or a message board. You could you could literally buy a ticket and immediately be engaged in, in, the, in the same way that uh, people that have done tension for 10 months could. I think that we wanted to do something that was not reliant on the complexity of the mythology. We just wanted to tell a really cool story. And so I think what this one is, dare I say, it's a lot more mainstream and commercial than we've done before. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think, you know, we, we, we shock them with tension and then, you know, we kind of try to come up with a different concept when we did lust and we shock them with lust. And I think this time around, you know, by, by going deeper and, and tapping into the history of it this way, it's, you know, trying to shock people today is getting harder and harder because people are just becoming more and more numb to a lot of things. And I think by tapping into the history and, you know, the shock value that was happening back then, and then with the shock of it, it doesn't look like we're just pulling things out of thin air just for the sake of shocking people. Uh, and I think that's what's exciting about Theater Macabre and the old Le Grand Theater is, again, to kind of play on the history of it, the culture back then. And I think that's what, for me, that's what I'm most excited about is is uh, where we can go with this new IP. So is this is this a period piece? Because we were talking a lot about... I- the, the the history of it, but is it is it a period piece right. or is it updated for twentieth ish ish? I can tackle that. Yeah. So basically, the answer is yes and no all at the same time. What it's going to feel like is in other place, and so um, without getting specific, you're going to go into another place in time, and you're going to have the tone of turn of the century rogues gallery of adventures that you can get into. You're going to have gypsies. You're going to have um, you're going to have refugee royalty. You're going you're to have talk of revolution, of all the things that were happening back then, but you're going to feel like you're stepping into a, a, an alternate universe that is its own world. And that's, that's part of the fun and excitement of it. How much of your, of your previous teams are, are coming back? So there's you guys, you brought Brian on, but, I, yeah. but if, from what I've seen, you're, you're, you're tapping into some of the, the, the usual gang to kind of help you over the hump here in the next in the next four weeks we're going to start announcing a lot of exciting things about this um this whole thing came about really quickly um you know retention we spent a year and a half trying to get the money for it and secure the location for it and uh it was a whole it was a whole deal with this uh we we started with artwork um we just started with images because to me i coming from the movie world it's all about a trailer and an image for me so i was like what is the style of theater macabre and we started releasing them on uh, an Instagram just, and that was before we even knew what we were going to do. And then literally like five days later, I was like, let's put tickets on sale now. And it was like, there was no, there was no big, <laughs> there was no big release. There was no big anything. It was just like, let's do it. Um, we, we have a lot of tension people coming back. A lot of the actors coming back. Um, we have kind of, you know, there's going to be the core team, which has kind of become our, I, I have a trust issue. I don't trust a lot of people. Um, and so, so I work with the same people again. And Sabrina, Sabrina, who uh, was the, the lead of Tension, one of the main players in Lust. Uh, Stephanie Hyden, uh, who I've known for over 10 years now uh, from my filmmaking world. Uh, Morgan Rooms, who Morgan has been uh, the Swiss army knife of shit that we need in our lives. From graphics to ciphers to uh, music, uh, music, you know, he's been... Yeah, he's been a he's been a, a godsend us. Um, so the the team, the, the core team is that. Then we have the same production designer that we use for Lust. Um, it's this amazing guy that I've started working with named Lee, who's coming back. Um, and then uh, I would say twenty five percent of the tension cast, which is exciting because uh, a lot of our I think favorites fans, are going to be back. Yeah, a lot a lot of the fan favorites too. So I think that's going to be exciting when when they walk in. 
uh, you have these fan favorites that they loved in tension and now we're going to see them in a completely different universe and world. Uh, so there's a lot of tension people coming back into it. That's been a you lot of fun just... too, as we... Oh, go ahead, Clint. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say it's been a lot of fun for us as we uh, create these characters. We're like, who would be the antithesis of that? And will that be interesting? And all of a sudden you have this uh, character that you've known and loved and all of a sudden he's in, he's in theater macabre in a completely surprising and new way. And we're going to keep trying to do that. I think it'll be a lot of fun for the fans. Darren, you were just, you were just in Thailand shooting a, shooting a movie. Um, and, and now you're, you're, you're thrown right back into the, the heart of, of making a, a theater piece. Um, why do you like torturing yourself so? <laughs> it's worse than that. I mean, I got to tell you, like, and you can't, you can't hear because this is the soundproof room, but there is a two-month-old baby screaming out there. Uh, so I literally... Who Stephanie like, is watching. Yeah, just, Steph- just Stephanie's for, here. Right not, now. Only, not only do you trust her in your productions, you trust her with my your child. child. I know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was crazy. So my wife gave birth. Uh, and uh, before we before we were doing Theater Macabre, I was doing Neil Patrick Harris's birthday party with Clinton Gordon, where uh, Neil's husband called us up and said, "Listen, he wants we want to do something special for his birthday. He loves you guys. Would you be open to doing this this his surprise birthday party? He wants the game." And so I was like, at that time, I was like, "Sure, that's fine. Nothing going on." And then I get a call maybe three weeks later and it says, we have to move it up three weeks. Well, that happened to coincide with the day my wife was giving birth. And of course, uh, like any responsible person, I said, yes, I'll do it. And I'm literally, in the, this is a true story. Laura is pushing in the, in the delivery room and I'm literally choreographing shit in New York for Neil Patrick Harris's birthday thing. And Laura was like, I hate you. I hate Neil. This is ridiculous. And uh, so she gives birth. And then like two weeks later, I leave to go do this movie in Thailand. And then I uh, come back from Thailand and we go straight into doing uh, this thing. So she's, uh, she's not very happy with me right now. You, it's, you it's might sometimes. actually not be recording a, a podcast. No, you're actually recording future evidence for court cases. So oh my God, <laughs> no. oh, it's, no. you know what though, there is a, I, I needed to do, I need to do this. And this is a fight that Clint and I always get into quite, quite frequently um, is coming from the film world. Uh, it, it, this movie I just shot in Thailand was the most unglamorous, unfun six weeks of my life because the stress, um, the, it, it was a, uh, it was a movie I was attached to for a year and a half. And then it was supposed to go in Hawaii and then it moved from Hawaii to Thailand and then it moved from the middle of the to middle of the winter to be in the middle of the hottest part of the summer, um, and you, you know it was a from the moment we landed to the moment we started filming, it was run 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 in some of the most horrendous conditions ever. We were shooting in the middle of the, in the middle of the jungle. Uh, then we then we would uh, shoot in like this this really uh, I guess the only thing I can describe it as kind of slummy areas uh, because we wanted this, the, the look of the film to have this very kind of dirty kind of look to it. Um, and it was, it was not fun. I'm glad I made the movie and I'm excited for people to see it, but it was, it was so nerve wracking and so intense. And now I have a year to two years before anyone will ever see it. To put St. Agatha as an an example, Clint and I wrote St. Agatha uh, two years, literally right after tension ended, tension ended. And I went to Atlanta to make St. Agatha. 
no one will see St. Agatha for another nine months. So it'll be three and a half years from the moment that that St. Agatha was written to when I shot it to when everyone actually gets to see it. As immersive theater, Clint will write something on a Monday and it's it's put out there on a Wednesday and it's reviewed on a Thursday. There is an immediate gratification to it. And more importantly is um, you, the vocalization from critics, both who loved it and hate it, is so strong and so passionate. It lets you know you're doing something right or wrong. Whereas a movie, you know, you might get a Rotten Tomatoes thing about it. Someone will be like, meh, whatever. Where tension or lust, there is utter hatred and there is there is people that are tattooing their bodies. And you, you know, it's 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 something that is a drug that I cannot explain to someone unless they've done it, been through it, or been a creator behind something. Yeah. It is a drug uh, that I am 100% addicted to. Um and something that I can't take a break. So when I was when I was in Thailand, I was counting the days down till I was back in LA to do this because I knew that all the hard work, all the bullshit, all the politics, it was going to have an immediate payoff. We were going to write it. So it's what four weeks from now, uh, it'll be reviewed from four weeks and one day from now, and it'll be done, and then we can move on to our next thing. As opposed to now, the death of me, it'll be a year and a half of my life. It'll be a year and a half. Uh, and then after I'm done with that, hopefully it gets released soon, but it might be two years before it's released. And so for me, immersive theater is a much more organic, living, breathing thing than a movie is. Gordon, what's what's your rhythm on a project like this? Is it similar to Darren's? Uh, yeah, I mean, so unlike his three and a half year journey with St. Agatha, I have a film that I finished filming about five years ago, six years ago. And at the same time, building the first IMAX theater in Panama, which is actually opening this December. But that's seven years of my life. That project took seven years to make the movie, to build the theater, and to finally open. And so it's like she said, you spend all this time working on something where the gratification don't come until years and years later. Now, yeah, we have the gratification from actually working and doing something that we love, but at the same time, we're making that intellectual property, that movie for fans, for a fan base. And so with immersive theater, we're getting to create, but at the same time, it gets to the fan base almost immediately. And the exciting part is actually seeing the reactions of the people. And I've made a movie six years ago, but I'm not going to see the reactions to the people's faces until the end of this year. And so that reward part of it is just painstakingly slow. Whereas on the immersive theater, you know, which is another form of entertainment, it gives us an opportunity as storytellers to continue telling stories, but getting it to the people a lot sooner for that payoff, the reactions, which is what we look forward to. Uh, you know, I want to just jump on what Gordon just said. Um, one of my most, I think, powerful moments as a director in Hollywood is, is not the Saw franchise and, and seeing it in Hollywood and Highland. It's not, um, I remember when I was 27 years old, I was sitting outside at my house and I lived not far from here. And literally from my deck, you could see a Saw 4 billboard. And it was so surreal because I'm, I'm you know, I'm 20s and there's a huge billboard. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is, this is amazing. That's not filmmaking, but that was Saw. And that was something that I thought all filmmaking was. But then you're hit with a reality after that, making Repo or Mother's Day or The Barons. You work years for something and you might not ever hear anything. The Barons came and went. Mother's Day came and went. Uh, again, if I log on to Rotten Tomatoes, I can see my 12% or my 14%. 
but that's it. With tension, every single night, Clint and I would go outside and the, the Clint always talks about it as like people didn't know what hit them, good or bad. They were, they were baffled. They would, they would just stand there and there was just like this, uh, Clint, how do you even describe shell, it? Uh, uh, basically shell shock. They, they couldn't process. It was like coming out of a dream and they were still kind of a little bit, uh, not quite awake. And it, to me, being able to see that, being able to see an immediate reaction, being able to hear from them and watch the community of tension, because I think to me, that's what it's about. It's, it is to, it's why I love Rocky Horror Picture Show and why I made Repo was the community aspect. The idea that a movie like Rocky Horror Picture Show would, would, would allow people that were not popular in their school, that were overweight, that wanted to cross-dress, that wanted to wear makeup, they had a home and they could dress up and they could act like a fool and they could sing and they could dance and they would not be judged. There was a community around a movie. And so to me, I was always excited more about the community aspect of filmmaking than I was the actual narrative. Mm -hmm. I wanted to find out, could I make movies that had communities? And that was why I made Repo and Devil's Carnival. With Tension, I was able to get that times a thousand. I will never forget, and uh, Clint, you were there, that's right, you and Gordon both were there. There was this moment at the end of Tension that changed my life, changed my life. And it was the last night, it was the last show, and Clint and I got stuck. And this is the, this is crazy. This is, we were basically watching uh, masks on and we were watching everybody. And the whole scene was Sabrina got in her car and drove away into the sunset. And it was this amazing yeah. thing. And we invited back like 80 of the people that had gone twice. And so there was like 80 or hundred people there and we got stuck. And so we were, they were basically closing the doors and the whole thing was we were locking everyone out. And we all of a sudden were stuck and we had our masks on and, and everyone turned and looked at us and Clint goes, what do we do? And I said, take your masks off and walk away. And so we took our masks off and it was literally like the, the curtain call at the very end. Everyone just started clapping and I never felt more proud and exhausted and a part of something than I did at that exact moment. And as Clint and I walked through this parking lot with all these people clapping, we, we were getting ready to go to Everson Rice, this bar. And as we were driving by the front of the building, there was, I don't know, 50 or 75 fans standing out front and they had a book. They had this book. I'm going to show you in a second that they gave me. And it was, it most... was almost, it was almost like a standing ovation feeling after they yeah. pulled the curtain, you've done you, yeah. you've done your encore. You come back after that one bow. And that's what it felt like. It felt like, like an encore presentation. And, and it, I was there. I remember that. I remember that. That was a great night. I just gave uh, I just gave Noah the copy of the book to look at and just you know you obviously if you're on the podcast you can't see what we're looking at but mm. it was this big it's this big photo album in the classic sense sense it's black leather bound and it's it's not just photos but it's it's letters that have sort of I think almost like decoupage on them people have handwritten things and aged them weathered them there's tiny there's little little puffy stickers inside yeah. here uh it's just blooded. these are it's blooded. like individual um individual you know missives from the people for whom this this really opened up a whole new world for and, and we know this we, we know that so many people this altered the way they look at it, not just entertainment and what it means to be entertained but to what it and not just fandom or what it is to be a fan but what it is to be part of a community around a story i mean there's there's an aspect to all of this that goes back to what story always was which is a way of binding a community together 
of exploring ideas, of making meaning, and just the ability to to have that happen. And this is great because the best thing in here are like the tiny notebooks, yeah. things that are torn out. I, oh, I I've cried. Good. I've cried. Yeah, it's twice. beautiful. Yeah, I've cried twice in my life. It was relating to a project that I've worked on. The day that Repo ended. Because to me, getting to make Repo was such a fuck you to everyone because it was a rock opera with Paris Hilton and Paul Sorvino and Sarah Brightman. And I was just like, I did it. And the second one was getting this book because, you know, what Gordon, you know, there's a there's a big part of the story that not a lot of people know, which was what Gordon and I had to go through to get the money, what Gordon had to do uh, to get the money to, to make Tension because it was a high risk property. And there were so many times that I didn't think it was going to happen. And so many times that I thought we were going to have to shut down. And so that moment when we did finally shut down and we had these fans out there and we realized it worked. And now this is where I wanted to steer my career, where I wanted to steer um, my focus as a director. And so Theater Macabre is the first, uh, hopefully a long line of uh, new projects. We have, we have two other projects, one main one that we're working on right now outside of this that are not in the tension universe. Tension will continue. It, it's, it's not over. Um, but this is something else that again is a, you know, it's, it's something that was important for us to make because it, it flexed our muscles as creators to say, we're not just tension. We're not just lust. Here's something completely different. Here's a new storyline. Here's new characters. Here are new people you can fall in love with. Um, and also just a different approach on how we actually do immersive. Cause I think tension was a very specific type of immersive. And this hopefully will go to the next stage of that. Two paths here that, that I want to follow up on. Uh, the first is, are you going to, is some of what you're doing with this project, with the other projects that are off the tension line, are you experimenting with things that you're going to bring back into that universe in terms yeah. of technique and, and styles? And yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah, I think, go ahead, Clint. No, I think every time we touch anything, uh, there's takeaways, what didn't work and what did work. And um, a lot of what we're going to do with this is what worked in the in the previous two iterations and how can we implement them in ways that um, affect the narrative in a better way and so absolutely like basically theater macabre is us experimenting with all the things that we've learned to get to this point to try and create something new yeah i think for for us same thing is is that you we went in making tension we did not know what we were doing i mean we still don't know what we're doing we're three projects in. i still don't really know what we're doing but I think you you see what people respond to and what they don't respond to. I think lust, if lust was as important for us to do as tension was because lust saw rage. <laughs> I mean, like what really upset people or offended them or pushed them out of their comfort zone. And I think that we needed to see things from, from, from a, a bird's eye view. And then we look at that and say, okay, why did this elicit this reaction? And what can we do to shape that reaction more to what we want? Um, and what did people, it was funny because things that people love we are throwaways for us. Like we're like, Oh, that's yeah. small. We don't think they're going to like that. And then you find out that's what some people's favorite elements was. So we, then we, we take that and we hodgepodge and say, okay, these are what people loved. These are what people hated. Let's go into this next project, knowing that and, and, you know, learning from our past mistakes. I think that's all we're doing right now is learning. And, and, and exactly on the opposite side too, we had a lot of things where people gave us feedback afterwards and like this one little small detail threw it off the rails for me. And we're like, oh wow, we really got to deal. We really got to drill down on every single aspect and make sure that we don't have those rocks in the road again. Yeah, it's, it's surprising. Funny. It's funny what can knock people off mm -hmm. the, the, the track. 
Um, the other the other path I wanted to go down here is with two pieces under your guys's belt and with the deal around tension having taken place, has it gotten any easier to raise the money no. for projects like no. this? No, 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 it's become harder. I think because um, I, there's more of a target on our back. I think that yeah. the thing that we've realized now is that there, that there is a target because when you do something like tension, which, you know, again, knock on wood that we met Gordon, Gordon was able to secure the budget for tension and there was no sacrifice made tension was a singular vision of this group uh, i guess a, a trial what is that triangular vision <laughs> it was it was it was it was not diluted a lot of time you make a trinocular movie, yeah <laughs> a lot of time you make a movie and uh you have to you have to concede to a lot compromise of compromise compromise right. yeah tension there was none it was this is the movie this is what we want to make and we were able to do it a hundred percent um then we wanted to do it again, but we have the benchmark of tension now. And tension, I mean, there was a lot of money spent. Like, there was, it was thinking about the money that we spent on that thing. So you want to do it again, but we're not going to have the same amount of money. Tension was a very specific thing. So now there's kind of a, a target on our back because people want to compare it to tension. And they're like, well, with tension, they had a 60,000 square foot warehouse and 54 actors. Yeah, that was expensive. And like, so it, it's become harder in some respects for us to make things because we, they want to compare us to what we did before. And I think that that's harder because it is hard to get money. And I don't want to wait the five years it took us to find the money for tension. Like I said, after Theater Macabre closes, we have our next thing we want to do. And I don't want to wait to try to go find the however much money we just want to go. Uh, and so that it, it's, it's become a little harder, actually. Clint and Gordon, you can answer that as well, too. Well, I mean, Gordon, the, the good time. news, well, here, well, here's what's happening now is there's a lot of people that have a new interest in the space that didn't know anything about it. Now that it is going mainstream, now that it is going more pop culture, we must, just, we must have talked to 20, 30, if not 40 production companies, very big, prominent Hollywood producers that are deep in the TV and film space that are now looking at immersive theater. And they are calling us now because they are looking to get into the space. So we feel that is exciting that instead of just the immersive theater community, you know, in the space that you're going to now have, you know, like our background people from film and TV also wanting to get in it. Now that could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing, but I think it's a good thing because again, it's always easier to align forces and join forces with someone who does have the capital, just, you know, a handful of people that can actually execute the idea and, and pull it off at the level that we've maintained to continuously pull it off. And again, you know, we're definitely not going backwards. We're, we're trying to raise the bar each time we do something new. And so we definitely embrace the new players. And again, the access to capital has been a challenge. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people you're still trying to explain what we actually do. And they're like, wait, what is it that you do? And how does it work? You know, and again, unless you are a fan of the game, unless you are a fan of Black Mirror, unless you are a fan of Westworld, it's really hard to pitch this. It's really hard to have a conversation with someone. And then, you know, there's a handful of people that have been like sleep no more. 
And I don't even think Sleep No More is a good uh, reference to it because, again, Sleep No More is completely passive. It was great when it launched eight years ago. They do a tremendous job. But ultimately, it's completely passive. It's not active. You walk in there, and you're running from room to room. It's visually stimulating. But there's no real interaction. And if you're lucky, you get that one-on-one. And and the last time I went, I actually had three one-on-ones. And I was like, okay, cool. Now what? Whereas I want to be able to have a conversation. I want to engage in part of the narrative. And so... You know, going back to your question on the difficulty and the financing part of this, I think, you know, you're going to have more and more people continuing to press on. Uh, we're not pulling back anytime soon. And so at some point, you know, it's going to uh, crack where, you know, we'll, we'll have our permanent installation in Los Angeles in the same way that we will have it in Las Vegas. And uh, hopefully in the same way that there is capital for TV and the way there's capital for film, that there is going to be more capital that people would want to place and allocate into this immersive theater space. Uh, by the way, guys, I just want to point out, if you hear something screaming in the background, very loud decibel, uh, it is not Noah. It is my, it is my daughter, who's <laughs> Stephanie Hyden, is trying to, to, uh, to, to quiet. Uh, but yeah, I apologize. Oh, um, I think there's... I think yeah. there's an exception out there that uh, we are the, the, the extremely well-funded, uh, you know, all the time on our hands, and we get to play with all the biggest toys, and we just get to throw everything out there. And the truth of the matter is, every time we, we step up to the plate, it's an uphill battle for reasons that the public has no idea about. Every yeah. time we go out there and we try and execute a vision, there's a million things. There's permanent there's about locations. This. Clint and I, Clint um, I deal with this every day that we lament about yeah. the perception versus the reality. And I think that it, it is no, it is, I mean, going to theater macabre right now, it was the, it is the hardest thing that we've done um, uh, from a, from, from not only from a scripting standpoint and a, and a creation standpoint, from a practicality standpoint, from, you know, obviously dealing, dealing with fire marshals again and dealing with location costs and insurance. Um, it, it hasn't gotten any easier. In, in fact, you know, it's been three years since tension, and I thought there would have been movement in LA uh, as more of these things popped up. There was an article recently I read about the rise in immersive theater in Los Angeles, and you know, it started, you know, what five, ten years ago with with you had black, you had tomorrow way back when, but right. then then, then you, you come in and you have blackout and delusion and creep doing stuff. Now you have blackout, delusion, creep, tension, nocturnal, fandango, whatever that's called, a uh, heretic. You got fifty of them running, and so you think, okay, well, LA is the the epicenter of of this, but it is still so hard to safely mount a show. Yeah, and it's it's yep. upsetting and it's sad and it's demoralizing and it's it's uh, debilitating. Well, we got hit. We're not. We're not film and TV guys who are out here just kind of doing this as the a hobby. Fire, it's, it's, it's it's blood, sweat, and tears every time we we come to it, and we do it we do it because we believe in it. It's it's not a hobby. It's not a side gig. It's it's our passion, and I think that yeah. that's important. Well, and and you know, every time people, every time something new opens up, there's more people who get a chance to understand what it is, and that helps on the financing side, and it helps on the fire marshal side. I mean, we're still in the frontier, you know, like this is, mm-hmm. this is an attempt to create a, a new civilization and people just don't understand the rules. And we can even see this when, when activations try and, you know, open up and, and go somewhere. 
they have trouble as well. Uh, and, and those often have a whole lot of money behind them because sure. they're they're playing with a they're playing with the the marketing budget for a film right and it can almost be like frustrating and that it's like oh is that possible yeah when impossible okay pause it for a minute right. i'm so sorry no worries i'm just worried she has not stopped crying in a couple minutes yeah <laughs> this is part of the challenge of getting stuff done <laughs> oh yeah oh no he's having, trying to have he's having meeting meetings with screaming children Oh yeah. Well, just trying to have, I mean, trying to have a life at all while doing any of this stuff is pretty much impossible. And, and, and I think that's the other thing that everyone doesn't realize about you guys is that, is that all of you guys have other jobs, other lives going on, right? Like pretty much every, everyone in this space. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, Gordon has his own thing. He has a million different projects going on at one time. I have, I have my advertising nine to five. Um, yeah, it's, it's constant. It's constant. And Darren has a higher metabolism than anyone I know. He he never (laughs) sleeps. He never stops. It was refreshing to see that. I'm sure you saw that Twitter thing about uh, the 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 damn. We're not being recorded right now. Um, actually, even if we are, there's, even there's if we no are, way, there's no way this isn't going to get used. It's, this part. it's fine. Uh, but, I just yeah. I just got a kick out of the uh, the Fox News shaming story about the uh, the the fine guy the fine guy from from uh, the Cosby Show, and everyone was the Fox News article bagged on him because he was uh working at a trader joe's and I, it, oh, yeah. i've never been so enraged in my life just like are you kidding me the the guy is, is doing whatever he can to to live his passion and they were acting like uh he was somehow less than than oh, he yeah, should no, be because it, of it yeah that was totally infuriating well and the, the the whole story was just weird because i i gave them the click and i read and it was like the woman who posted so it was like it was like the wife of the security head of the store. Ugh, and I was like, I know. what? I don't even understand. Like, how does it even make sense? Like, why, why would she, be... there's, there's a part of me that's almost like, oh, did they like put this out there to try and like get some buzz for, <laughs> you know, like some act of desperation that then like goes horribly wrong. All right. Um... I, I can't see an angle that that would be positive. I, I certainly hope not. But, yeah. yeah. Well, I can't see an angle to be positive either, but that, that doesn't mean people are, 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 are smart with their publicity stunts. So, sorry. We were, uh, we were, so I think, where were we? Just, yeah. just the, pra- the practicalities of, before we pause, there was the practicalities yeah. of getting things done. And just that, like, things, I feel like this year, it felt like 2017 to me was almost like a lost year, right? Because, yeah. like, 2016 was that peak year here in LA where we had tension, we had creep, we had uh delusion, delusion yeah. you know the big the big three shepherded a whole lot of people in you know a lot of smaller stuff was popping off and then it was just at the end of that year it was november where ghost ship happened in oakland and then just the brakes came down and then all of 2017 trying to trying to get the city to wake up trying to get things to change and finally that the city was receptive but befuddled and now we're you know we're what is it like 19 months into that process going on 20 almost 20 months in the process really and there it's just it's such a slow thing to change a bureaucracy to change an infrastructure i think you have a, you have you have the city element which obviously is, is a huge part i also think you have the oversaturation element to the public because i think yep. that one thing that you're seeing now is um 
and this is a this is the double-edged sword you know you have so many more immersive theater companies that are working and that are up and that are out and what that does is it's like what happened with netflix or any any other kind of direct tv thing um some of those great movies get lost uh in page 97 of content like if you're think about it if, if you go to watch if i for me if i go to watch netflix i give up after going through about page four and i'm just like fuck and I'll, I'll pick something um but there's great gems buried on page six and seven and eight and nine and eleven and i think that with immersive theater it's kind of overwhelming sometimes um i look at i look at you know everything immersive and i'll see 27 shows and i'm like crap like what do i see like there's 27 shows here it's only so much time in a day well i mean i have a a slightly different take on it in that i think that the the issue we have is that there aren't enough shows with long runs yeah right so like when it's a lot of short run shows you're able to service uh you know the the dedicated community that are already fans of all this work and you'll, you'll even see it. Like, I think uh, the weekend we're recording this, the Speakeasy Society, you know, dropped news about Chapter 6. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a rush of like, oh, my goodness. And there's a lot of people because there's running on two weeks out of town those weekends. I'm not going to get a chance to see it. And they're lamenting already. And the, the truth is we need stuff to have, you know, four, five, six week and beyond runs. That's one of the things that's interesting about um, about uh, um spooky season as a whole is that we usually get at least four to six weeks runs for things so there's more time there's more slots and at that point we're able to start growing the audience because i think that the 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 core is over serviced right now in in a big way to the point where i don't even understand like how half the people can afford to go to stuff like i start to run the math and i'm like good God, August was expensive no, and here comes September and October. Well, I think one thing that I would love to hear at some point is a business, an entire podcast just for the business of immersive theater because it's something that, you know, I've worked and Gordon's worked on. It's, uh, and it's very easy. You look at a film budget and, and you, you, I think you, you get it. With this, um, every week that you stay open on this is astronomical because so for, for us, for example, you know, peeling back the curtain just a little bit you know you're paying weekly at the venue uh then you're paying payroll and you got to look at how many people you're putting on payroll and uh, something like this like when you're casting for spooky season you got to cast we 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 did our casting i want to say in june is that right because before i left to go do um so i think we cast this in june so we cast and we had to make them a guarantee back then you got to think about that. So you're guaranteeing them a certain amount of work. So now you have payroll for X amount of weeks. uh, And if you're putting 50 or 60 people on, think about that. Think about payroll per week Mm -hmm. on that. So you have payroll per that. You have insurance. You have security. Like one of our things is we have to have security officers there. So you you start these, these, these expenses start adding up. And the ticket price is not a ticket price that comes out of nowhere. It's not like we throw a dart on the board and say, <laughs> let's charge $150 for a ticket. It doesn't come like that. It comes out to what does it cost us per night to operate the show? And that's what it is. And so for us, our kind of idea is we want to be more of a, a spectacle. We want people to walk in and be like, oh, yeah. my God. And the same way that when I went in Sleep No More, I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. Um, and so they're going to get more and more expensive. Specifically, I think the more that you're – trying to do uh you know i think we stayed roughly the same price between lust and this but it's a it's not a cheap ticket it's not um you know i think if we're, we're 150 dollars that does include alcohol it comes with your ticket price 
but it's uh, it's expensive. And I think that part of the reasons these things are not on for as long, or they only have a two-day run or three-day run, is it's a lot easier to get an actor to commit to do three days. It's a lot easier to get a, uh, a business to say, okay, you can have three days here. But when you start going into multiple weeks, uh, like in our case, four and a half, five weeks, it's an expensive venture. It's an expensive risk, specifically when you're putting a lot of money up front. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of these things have smaller runs. It's just yeah. the cost associated with staying open as long as you need to stay open for it. Well, and until until you're able to monetize a venue the way immersive monetizes the McKittrick, where you've yeah. got the shows, the main right. attraction, and then you've got the restaurant, yeah. the bar, you know, the ability, a second performance venue where you can throw things. It's one of the things that's interesting about what's going to roll down with Two Bit Circus because even though this stuff isn't their focus. They're going to use some of their space yeah. for for pop up immersive things, and that's going to make it a little easier to get things rolling. And and I think we're we're a ways away from that model being adopted by more people. But indeed, if you know if Punch Drunk lands in Los Angeles, like you know they're yeah. they're not going to not have that aspect of it because they're going to be looking for a long run. And when you guys do your permanent in Vegas, like that's well, it also helps. Absolutely. I think uh, it it also is going to help lower the ticket prices to some extent because if you know that you have a, let's say in our case, like a thirty six month lease or something like that, whatever it is, the longer you're there for, you, there's a little more breathing room. But in our case, like when we have five weeks, you you have five weeks in there, and it it, it becomes um, it, it's it's risky. It, it's a it, the whole thing is a is a risky thing to stay open that amount of time. It's very it'd be much easier for us to stay open for three nights or four nights. But then that comes down to it doesn't change the workload for someone like Clint, who whether we stay open three nights, or we stay open five weeks, he's still writing a thousand page script. It's the same. I yeah. mean, it doesn't it doesn't change. So in that case, it's why we want to stay open so much longer. Is if, if you're going to if you're going to spend the time to rehearse the actors and write the script with all these multiple things that could happen to you, then it just makes sense to stay open longer. Um, I just wanted to add on that, uh, Darren, you mentioned the double-edged sword of, of Los Angeles. One of the things creatively that is double-edged sword is that what we have is an, uh, a super saturated market for a core industry of people that are super savvy about the medium itself. And what keeps happening is LA keeps us on our toes. Like I can't get lazy with the story. I can't get lazy with the mechanics. I can't, I can't get lazy. Like we could, we could run tension again all throughout the country. We could go everywhere and run it. And we could have, you know, a month stay here, a month stay there. No one would ask for more. But every time we open up in Los Angeles, we have to know that we're on our A game and we're bringing more than we did before. So on, on that case, it's all, it's all positive and gravy and, and makes us better in what we do. Let's land on the note focusing on the new show. What are people going to get? What should people be setting their expectations for for your 2018 spooky season spectacular here? Hopefully, it's it's, it's not just entertainment. We're we're, we're, we're not selling it. We're not selling entertainment. We're selling it an experience, right? And so I think, especially because it is a high ticket item, you know, 150 is not cheap. It's like you're not going to go to if a movie was 150 dollars, you're not going to go to movie theater every week to go watch the movie just for entertainment. And so if people can remove that this is more than entertainment, that we're creating an experience for them, we are curating an entire evening for them that's going to have them think about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so it's not just, okay, it's Halloween season, 
we're going to walk into this thing and it's just another haunt thing during haunt season. It's what we're trying to do this time around is really give them value for their money, but also have them walking away, scratching their head and saying, wow, give them that, that again, what we did with tension, ascension and tension lust is give them that visceral experience and not just uh, a two hour entertainment. They're going to be talking about this for weeks and weeks after they leave in the same way they've done, hopefully in the same way they have when they left uh, tension and lust. Yeah. To me, it's, um, it's, it's the conversation piece. It's, it's not about the spectacular spectacular, the spectacular spectacle that's happening in front of you. It's, it's all the things you didn't see. It's the things your friends saw that you didn't. It's the thing that you got that they didn't. Um, and I think that it's the magic, it's the magic sauce that Clint always talks about. Um, we're planning something this year that we've never done before. And it's a multi-layered multi like storyline, uh, thing that 10 people walk in i mean this is something we haven't talked about before but 10 people walk in and you have 10 different out out stories that that could happen to you in that so the idea is if you walk in and to to, to use a, a line from the mckittrick fortune favors the bold you know if you go in and you uh you know you you interact and you talk and you uh engage then you're going to be pulled on a storyline that your friend won't and your friend will have a completely different storyline uh, and I, I, it's the conversation, it's the coffee and pie afterwards where you get down and you're like, oh my God, I, I went on a treasure hunt. Someone else was like, I went on an execution and someone else is like, well, I did this. And how, as you start talking, you begin to piece a full story together because you each share a small piece of a much larger story and you each have a key of it. So it, to me, that's what the hope is this time around is that it, it's going to inspire conversation from people um, within your group and within different days of the show. So Clint. Absolutely. Absolutely. And no, just to yes. And both you guys, I, I think, uh, not to oversell it, but it's literally a once in a lifetime, completely unique experience. Um, it won't be replicated again. So, uh, everyone's going to go through, they're going to have their own thing. And yeah, I think people will be really excited about this one. All right. Well, gentlemen, just a few weeks to uh, before we we see what it is you've cooked up. So yes, looking forward to it. Nervous. All right, got to go rehearse. All right. All okay. right. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Noah. Noah, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Once again, I want to thank Darren, Clint, and Gordon for being our guests on the show. You can find Theater Macabre at theater-macabre.com. That is T-H-E-A-T-R-E, oh yeah, the way I like it, dash M-A-C-A-B-R-E, dot com. Um, I don't know why I just said ruh, ruh, uh, perhaps because uh, my sinuses are packed full at the moment. Um yeah, September colds. I uh, didn't know they were a thing, but they're a thing apparently. Um, hey, there's a bunch going on. I think I just owe an irregular uh, is, is probably where I'll handle a fair amount of stuff. But I wanted to, uh, you know, made references to a couple things at the top of the show, which was intended to be. I wanted to be have like a five minute start. And I was like, oh, it looks like it was 10 minutes starting. Eh, OK, whatever. Um all right, so let's let's go backwards. Uh, podcast recommendation: Team Human, Team Human podcast. Doug Rushkoff. Doug Rushkoff is an amazing uh, media theorist. 
Uh, he's been holding this down since uh, the 1990s, uh, presaged a lot of what was going to happen with the internet, um, enabled a lot of the best stuff, accidentally enabled a few of the worst things. His, his, uh, it felt massive regret for that. Uh, he's got these amazing books like Coercion, like um, uh, uh, Present Shock, Present, yeah, Present Shock, because uh, another, it's there's another book called Future Shock that he he's riffing on the name of, so I always have to like reorient myself. Um, just, just my favorite, my favorite writer, straight up, uh, when it comes to nonfiction. Like I've read just about everything he's written, um, and uh, yeah, like uh, there's there's a great episode this week. Uh, that's all about um, sort of uh, it's it's uh, a conversation with the author of the book Squeezed, which is about how like the middle class has just been like sque- you squeezed almost out of existence. There's this ethos to Team Human where the idea is that um, uh, being human is a team sport, and uh, the the other side of the team is you know team machine that's just trying to kind of kind of lock everything down. You know, it's there's the algorithms, there's the seeing people as commodities, and uh, team human is all about seeing people as people. Um, and what I love most about Rushkoff is he always he manages to articulate uh, for me the things that I'm thinking but can't quite yet put into words. And that happens every single time uh, I encounter Doug's thinking. So uh, if you want to know if you want to know uh, what I'm going to be uh, saying and doing and thinking. Uh, in like two months' time, just just start checking out Team Human. Check out Doug Rushkoff. Uh, it's totally worth your time. Okay, that's number one. Number two, Two Bit Circus has opened. Uh, well, it's opening as we speak. Uh, it's like you know nine o'clock in the morning uh, on Friday. Today is the the grand opening. Then the big party a couple of days ago. I got lucky enough to attend. Um, I'm just I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I know I don't sound it because I'm really tired and I'm sick, uh, but uh, this has been a long time coming. They've got uh, to, just to have a space <coughs> where there's a physical nexus of all the things we love, that being VR, escape rooms, video games, immersive theater, meta games. All, all in a physical space that's in the arts district in Los Angeles. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for anything more. Um, and that this is just the beginning, right? Like, this is this is 1.0, and they're not going to stop iterating on the space. They've got more plans. They've got more things. A lot of the local immersive theater groups are going to be using Two Bit Circus as a venue, as a pop up venue at points going forward. Uh, Red Flags is actually going to be running there. Uh, Interwoven Immersive did a game for the opening night party. Like this is, this is the start. This is the beginning. Like the road starts here, and it's after a very long time of of Brent and Eric leading that team and and getting it open. And that it's just the beginning of our journey is super exciting to me. Um, so there's there's a bunch of stuff coming. Uh, you'll hear about. You will regularly hear about events happening at Two Bit Circus, like from now until hopefully, you know, we bury the podcast in like fifteen years. Um, yeah, no, I think on those timescales, that's that's who I am. So, um, 
if you're in Los Angeles, check it out. If you're coming through Los Angeles, check it out. Definitely get an eye on the website to see if there is an immersive piece that's happening there. Uh, because, um, Hey, we've got a clubhouse now. We've got a home. Okay. Um, what else is there? Spooky season coverage. Yep. We're putting together stuff for this weekend. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch happening. Uh, let's see the North American. We talked about that. Yeah. I, I, there's, there's, there's this, there's a lot going on. Um, one could say there's, there's more than we can actually catch up, uh, keep up with. Um, we've got some, uh, some of the teams going to be on some panels soon. Uh, so we'll be able to announce that, uh, not me members of the team. I'm very excited about this. Uh, it's, it's no longer just me going out and talking, uh, which I'm totally happy. Uh, there's also, there's a meetup. Ah, here's one. This is one that I should definitely, and probably should even put uh, at the top of the show. Uh, we've got a, uh, special no proscenium talkback edition of, um, this is not a theater company's, uh, cafe play. You will definitely be able to find the uh, code for that in the upcoming New York newsletter. I don't have it right in front of me right now. Um, so that is going on. Uh, we will also have, uh, indicates coming up. We've got a $5 off, uh, code that's going to go into the LA newsletter. So, um, check those out. The, um, definitely check out the talk back for this non theater company's cafe play. Um, Catherine's going to host that and that's sort of our next meetup as well. And, uh, then we've got, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few things here and there, uh, that, uh, once they get locked down and dates confirmed, I'll be able to announce. And I'm very excited about that. And I can't think of anything else at the moment because my brain is empty right now. Um, I know, I know there's gotta be something, but, um, anyway, uh, let's go. Let's make a bad joke. I'm not going to do it. No, 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 you're not getting out of me. Okay. So let's do the credit thing. The music for No Proscenium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Proscenium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Mark Baltazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. And of course, we are brought to you in part by our friends at Meow Wolf. You can help out this show, and let me tell you, we need it, by visiting patreon.com slash no proscenium. You can find us as always, at noproscenium.com, which is where you should definitely check out Everything Immersive This Week, which comes out over the weekend, and that catches you up with all that's gone on in, well, not all, but a lot of the stuff that's gone on in our wonderful Facebook group, Everything Immersive, which we co-pilot with our friends Room Escape Artist and Ricky Briganti of Pseudonym Productions. And with that, that is the show. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time... I'll see you at the show.